Hey, Philomena, nice to see you. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Great. Great. Um, we were just talking about the fourth minute right before we got started. So did you do anything fun yesterday? Uh, so yesterday was a lot of making sure my dog felt well. She does not like the fireworks. Oh. Um, a couple of days before the fourth, I was an illustrator at a wedding, a cartoonist. And it was so lovely to work that and then have like days off. Like I felt like I worked really hard for those five hours and then like two days off. It was beautiful. That's great. That's so nice. Well, awesome. Well, it's great that we can reconnect. Um, I think it's been a minute since we chatted. Um, I'm really looking forward to learning a bit more about yourself and your background. So, you know, why don't we start there? Like, tell me a bit about, you know, where, where did you grow up or part of um, uh, the world? I'm sorry. Do you say that one more time? You broke up. Where did you grow up? So I am a Jersey girl. Uh-huh. Well, one, I still have my 201 phone number. Uh, so I live right outside Manhattan. And so great is my high school. So I was one of those art geeks in high school that all the art classes. My high school overlooked Manhattan. But there was always this feeling of like, you know, you can be an artist in New York City. And then when I went to college, I got a, luckily I got a full scholarship to Jersey City University. And what, again, right outside Manhattan. So all of the teachers that I had were New York City showing artists, but everyone lived in Jersey because it was cheaper. <laughs> so uh, I, I feel like New York City was my playground as a kid. You know, I'd say like I, I have this memory of skipping school to go to Manhattan to like go to galleries, like so innocent and sweet. You know, I wasn't going, you know, for anything nefarious. Like I'd skip school so I could go and see a, you know, a show opening in a gallery. <laughs> um, and then eventually I moved upstate. So I'm like four, four and a half hours from Manhattan now in the Hinder Lakes. And it's okay. beautiful and wonderful. And, uh, I suggest it for everybody. Live somewhere where there's enough country that you can get fresh air, but also mm -hmm. enough city that you can have nice restaurants. My uh, my brother just spent the last, I think, gosh, five years or so living in Manhattan. And I went and visited him in March. And I hadn't been to the city probably in close to a decade. I mean, it's been a while, but it was so much fun. So much fun. Yeah, you know, Number one tip for if you're around the city, get a subscription membership to the MoMA. It's like 35 bucks a year. Um, you can bring a guest for $5 a visit. You get, you know, discounts in the shop, which is nice, but you get uh, early access to all the shows. Mm -hmm. And who knows who you're meeting at those shows? Like, bring your business cards if you're an artist. <laughs> <laughs> and authentically enjoy the museum and also dress like yourself. Like, so this isn't, this is like early in the conversation, but I, I suggest to all artists or anybody dress like yourself. Like if you're a colorful rainbow weirdo like me, dress like that. Don't worry about what people are going to think because the right people are going to think the right things about you. So get your, get a membership to the MoMA. Maybe the Met too, but definitely the MoMA. And, and just use it as your playground. Go there for lunch 
go there for sketching, go there for relaxation time. There's always uh, clean restrooms. Um, <laughs> but if you're in the area, get a subscription to the MoMA. I love it. I love that suggestion. It's uh, did you ever have, is that based in a story? Did you go to the MoMA or museum and you were dressed a certain way and you oh, hit it oh, off with somebody? People always, yeah. So at a, at a gallery near, near there, um, which I'm blanking on the name of the gallery, it is, uh, not Goldman. It's not, it's one of the big banks. Um, but that directly happened to me. Um, I was enjoying the exhibit. I was dressed like myself and someone asked me like, oh, you seem to be really engaged with this. And it was like, it was three people, uh, husband, wife, and the best friend of the wife. And we still interact online. And I can't say that they've ever, they've never bought anything. So they're they're not collectors yet, <laughs> but we interact and we like they give me high fives online when they see that I have a show or something. And cool. uh, I could talk about art forever. I could talk about and I could talk to a tree. So when you put those two things together, you know, I could talk to yeah. anyone about art forever. Um, it's a joyous occasion for me to interact with people I don't know in galleries. That's cool. Yeah, it's um. It reminds me when I was, so I, when I went and visited him in March, I went to the MoMA one day just by myself. And that's another thing. Like if you're going to something, if you go with a big group, you're more inclined to stick with them. But if you go by yourself, you can sometimes feel more comfortable, like talking to people because it's, <laughs> you know, so they were setting up, um, an exhibit on Georgia O'Keeffe and there were three or four people. I think a couple of them were interns. One person was supervising. So. Nothing really came of it, but I just chatted them up and like talked to them for a few minutes. And it was fun to like hear about their stories and how they're working at the moment in the summer or in the spring. And um, when that exhibit was going to open up and unfortunately it wasn't going to be anytime soon. So I couldn't go peek in and, and see it. But yeah, I think that was the first time I've been to the moment. I didn't know that it had Van Gogh and a bunch of things like that. It had a really nice permanent collection. It's it's truly amazing. So my favorite contemporary artist, well, I say contemporary, he's passed, but um, I still consider it contemporary, is Mark Rothko. Huge color fields of studies. And I literally weep tears of joy when I, when I stand in front of his artwork. He was using color for the love of color. He wasn't necessarily trying to say something about the world necessarily. He wasn't trying to make the perfect peach painting, you know. He was using color for the love of color. And the more that you look at a Rothko, the more you will see. And there's something to me so beautiful and um, human about that experience of just taking your time, slowing down, and looking at how all the colors are going to interact and they start to vibrate off of one another. And it's a really great, he's a really great person to study if you don't understand abstract art. Like uh, some people just don't like it, don't get it. And that's fine. That's fair. But if you're going to try to like or understand abstract art, you know, Pollock, of course, everyone talks about Pollock, but I think it's Rothko that needs to be studied to get to understand why abstract art is so important. Huh. 
Okay, cool. Very cool. So you mentioned you grew up in Jersey. And do you remember when you first got into the arts? I was always making something. So my very first memory of making anything was copying Garfield the cat into the cheapest, you know, what you give a little kid to draw in, right? A notebook, um, like newsprint. And I remember specifically creating like fan art, which wasn't a, a term back in the, this was the 1970s, uh, 70s, 80s, of Garfield the cat with a huge boombox radio. And I would just draw it over and over again. And I would also read um, Dennis the Menace. I had like two Dennis the Menace cartoon uh, comic books, and I would read them over and over again. And I realized that I, I still do that now. I love cartoons, and I could deep dive into some new, like new cartoons. I watched them over and over again, and that was really educational to look at line and form and story. And and I still to this day use a lot of text in my artwork. Uh-huh. Um, so doing a lot of that. And then again, it, it, I was lucky to go to a high school that really thought the, the arts were important. As a junior in high school, I was able to write a proposal that I was going to do one art project for a semester. And that was going to count as my art for the, the semester. And I, I, so my background is in fine art photography. I did, um, I did a proposal that allowed me to go to New York City on my own. And again, this is the 80s, 90s. Kids could do things on their own. (laughs) (laughs) I photographed hot dog parts throughout the city. And I learned how to interview the person because part of the project was I had to get a model release. So I had to talk to the person. Um, I was so lucky to have that experience. Tell me more about that. Did you run into any? Characters. <laughs> oh, it's New York City. It's like hot dog vendors, right? So some did not want to be in- interviewed or um, uh, photographed, and you know, let that go. And and who knows? Like maybe not everyone was is legally working in New York City, right? So why would they? But some people really flipping proud of this is my part. This is my spot. Look at my shirt. Here, have a hot dog, you know? Um, and so that here's another bit of advice. I'm not, I'm vegan now, but in the past, in the, then I wasn't. Um, if you're, you know, if you're hungry, uh, interview <laughs> chefs. <laughs> interview <laughs> people who make food and coffee because um, they will give it to you. Um, but, <laughs> you know, you, as an artist, you need some grit. You need to be able to talk to people you need to be able to express what it is you're doing quickly. So elevator speeches, that wasn't a term then. But I learned to develop an elevator speech. Like, hi, I'm doing this art project. Can I take your picture? Will you sign the model release, right? Because they're busy. Because they're still working, right? They're still not, still in lockdown. And they're going, huh? Like, what do you want? Huh? Right. <laughs> language barriers. Let everyone's English isn't the first language for everybody. Uh, I certainly don't have any other languages because brought up in an American high school. <laughs> um, but it was, I, I still see that project back then as so important. And I was working with film. It wasn't digital. So you had to know your stuff. 
And I say that, and here's advice for digital artists. Know your equipment, right? Your cameras, your digital cameras, your phones can do so much. Learn how to use those things when it's not important. Like press all the buttons, learn what the what your equipment will do when it's not important because when you have to do the thing. So uh, Henry Cartier-Bresson, one of my favorite photographers, he has this theory. It's called um, the decisive moment, meaning you have one moment to make this thing, you know, specifically in photography. So know your equipment before it's important. There's a really great book called uh, The Best Camera is the One That You Have. So you don't need a fancy use what you've got but know what it is that you what you know what you have know what's available to you when it's not important yeah yeah you want to be um engaging your almost like muscle memory or your instinct in that moment rather than having you consciously think wait a minute i need to be in manual mode and then what's right. my f-stop or you know <laughs> we ain't got time for that you need to know for for a while i was a wedding photographer and i really enjoyed that um there's no time. Like when they're saying I do, you can't say, excuse me, um, <laughs> do that again, please. The, the fail was a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, have you heard of, um, there's a, I think it's an Instagram account called Humans of New York. Yeah. Or, well, it, it, I feel like your hot dog thing, you know, if you were, if someone were to do that today or you were to do it today, like that probably get a lot of attention. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I'd have to find all the vegan ones now because that's really a big part of my platform. I, as often as possible, I use um, materials that don't have animal ingredients in it. Like even sure. the watercolor paper I have, um, I try to get stuff that doesn't have gelatin in it. And like things with rabbit skin glue, come on, people. Like, huh. forget huh. it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's interesting. I think, um, yeah, setting aside it being meat and hot dogs, it's just something like that can sound like it's just not a big deal but people love that sort of i think just on the street learning about people's stories learning about people that are there and present but you kind of pass by them all the time um yeah. there's another guy i know who does like pizza reviews um i think his name's dave portnoy he does these pizza reviews all over new york now i think he does it all over the place but who would have thought that would be this big thing it's a very big cultural phenomenon now yeah um so maybe what are there like vegan pretzel shops or vegan stands around the t like yeah. big cities so there in in larger cities there are enough uh businesses that that could be a thing where i'm sitting in elmira new york not as much <laughs> the places i frequent all have at least one vegan item and uh so i may i would be able to do something uh i was just asked by one of the places up here to do a uh, a coloring page they um for farmers markets so mm -hmm. my plan is to do multiple uh drawings uh, of like broccoli as a superhero and like onions as a superhero so that the family comes back each week and can get a different coloring page for their for their kiddos. Interesting. Cool. Very cool. So you did this project your junior year. Um, how did it go? How was it? Was it fun? Was it 
Yeah. Again, I ended up getting a full scholarship to co in college. Oh. Good grades, you know, honor society, whatever. That doesn't mean much now. I uh, have worked in schools and my husband is a high school teacher. Things don't mean quite the same things anymore. Um, so what I'm getting at is don't pressure your kids to get into these organizations because uh but so yeah i got a full ride to college i think it was because i was able to show i was able to do this whole thing conception Very cool. deployment good grade very cool and you said you developed this elevator speech or pitch for it um how did you do that did you put a lot of thought into it in advance or did you just kind of do it a couple times and then you notice you started doing it the same way yeah it was doing well, well i think it's also from being a like a city kid you know the pace of things right like you don't dawdle at the street corners you cross the street right you you ask for the thing at the restaurant you don't like dawdle so i i think it maybe was just through osmosis of being a city kid that i it it made sense or is there something in your upbringing or yeah just that environment that made you yeah be a little bit comfortable putting yourself out there and and talking to people where, where did that come from uh i have i'm a i am from a family of entrepreneurs so my father owned a bodega in the 60s and 70s and i remember my one of my very earliest memories uh was my older brother teaching me how to make change at the candy counter like us kids there was four of us kids we ran the candy counter. Um, but how none of us have diabetes, I don't know. But <laughs> um, one of my earliest memories is learning, okay, they wanted four penny candies and they gave me a nickel and I had a penny back. So that, my mother, um, you know, eventually was a single mom and I, I saw how hard she worked at getting jobs. So I, I understood the importance of finding jobs and then she eventually worked for my aunt who owned her own business so i always saw people in commerce i always saw people in commerce so there's this funny story that apparently when i was like eight or nine my mother was trying to sell like her car and i think she wanted like a five hundred dollars for it and i i sold it for a thousand at Whoa. Like, like nine years old <laughs> you were nine yeah so uh, how did you do that? I honestly, I just didn't know she wanted five hundred dollars for it. Like I, I was outside roller skating next to the car, and the guy was like looking in the window, like there's a for sale. And the guy was looking in the window. I was like, "Oh, my mom's selling that car." And he was like, I, "He must have asked me," and I just didn't know. I was like, "I don't know, a thousand dollars," and like it was a joyous and. My mom, being a single mom, needed the needed the money, right? So that that was she happy when you told oh, her that? Yes, of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. I that's amazing. So yeah, and he was just he just agreed on the spot, or did he take yeah, it convincing? It was a classic car. It was uh, we didn't have any way to fix the thing that was broken in it. You know, we my mom drove it for as long as she could, and that that was that. Very cool. Now, when you went to college, did you study fine art photography there? I studied fine art photography, but there was a stipulation in order to keep my scholarship, I had to be in this honors program, which meant that for the first 
three semesters, I could only take the honors courses. I was the second artist they allowed in the program. They were, I was like, a, a, they're still experimental. They didn't, the honors portion of the college didn't see the arts as, as important as like science and technology. Um, so that was a, a struggle because I was like, what did I get myself into? Like I was in, in high school, I made so much art. And then those first three semesters in college was like, you know, I learned beautiful things. I learned about Turing machines and, you know, how trees talk to one another. Like it was, that was great. But the pressure of getting the, you had, still had to have high grades. You still had to be in the honors program. And the, um, I'm a person who's not happy when she's not making art. So those th first three semesters was a struggle. So it sounds like you did some computer science. Computer science, yeah. And uh, I ended up eventually teaching computer science before I became an artist, like full time. So it worked out, but it was it was rough. And it was a hard time in my life. Like I have a family tree that was hit by lightning more than once is the, mm -hmm. is the easiest way to say it. And um, because of parental mental health problems, I was uh, ejected from my house mm. by the end of my sophomore year of college. So I was homeless for six months. And I say homeless, like, so I slept in my car once or twice, but mostly it was couch surfing, but it definitely was not, I was not rightfully housed. Mm. Wow. And Thankfully, because of the scholarship, I had a few extra dollars that allowed me to, you know, get my stuff together. And I found the cheapest apartment. I had literally a closet in an illegal apartment and still went to school. And Woof. it was rough. It was not easy. Did you do you feel like that made you more resilient and stronger? Or? Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. I would not wish it for another person. Um, and I'm still working through the psychological trauma of being ejected from your family home. Uh, but when I look at the any troubles I may have now, I'm a person who owns two homes now. And it's through, you know, me and my husband working hard together. But when I look at any trouble I may have now, like, like, hey, <laughs> please, I got this. <laughs> I I love that attitude. And I think um, I, or another cool reframe I've heard about when people are having troubles is, um, you know, you can reframe it as, hey, this is going to be part of my origin story. Right. This is going to be part of my success story. You know, you need to have that arc. Did that ever like cross your mind when you were uh, in that yeah. moment? A hundred percent. I forget. So my husband and I, we love the Jason Bourne movies. And I can't remember which one this is from, but there's a line in that in one of the movies that says, you talk about this stuff like you read it in a book versus I've lived these experiences and I can tell you directly how uh, working hard and finding grace and finding a, like a higher power has gotten me through I can tell mm. you directly, I didn't read it in a book. I lived it. Mm. Wow. That's amazing. So um, you got through that period of sophomore year and then was junior and senior year a bit more smooth from there? Oh, uh, no. 
it it wasn't because I was still working on all the fallout of all of that of being displaced from my family. Um, I eventually, so my the beginning of my no the end of the ju- my junior year I couldn't do it anymore. I was working two and a half jobs. I was exhausted. I was what kind of jobs were you doing? I was a bartender, which is funny because I don't drink. So like still, like I had no, I had no place being a bartender. I was like, what's in that? Um, but you know, <laughs> cute young girl looking for work. Like they hired me. I was a nanny, and I worked in a store that sold teddy bears and balloons. So uh, that was my one of my artistic outlets. I would create these balloon bouquets that would match my outfits. <laughs> Um, but junior year, junior year, yeah, I, I dropped out of school. I just, I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, the because I had used so much of the scholarship money for housing, I didn't have money for the my next semester, so it was just too much. So somehow along the line. I went to a workshop for word processing, how to be a word processor. Um, I got through that program. Was that just kind of learning how to type? Learning how to type, but learning how to use Word, Excel. I knew how to type. So Word, Excel, PowerPoint, um, Visio. There was a program called Visio. (laughs) It was like, like a graphic design, Corel Draw. And this is so I love this is I love this part of my word user. So I got an interview at Goldman Sachs. I I changed my hair like I did change the way I looked for that interview. So I, <laughs> I dyed my hair back to a human color. Uh, like this is my natural color. This pink. This is my natural color. I dyed my hair. I got a cheap suit that was like uh, awful. Ugh. Um, I went to the interview and then I got accepted to their training program. So you did five days of training with them and you had a test at the end. Okay. Okay. Um, I did so poorly on the test. It was a joke. It was, I was like, oh, come on. Like I, I just did so poorly. And then after the test, all of us went out to lunch together, including the instructor. And so my my music style is um, punk rock. Like I've been in punk rock like bands and I, I played cello and I would play cello in these punk rock bands. So that's my like aesthetic, like metal, punk rock. All right. So that's important because we're sitting at lunch and on the radio came, um, I believe I can fly. I believe the I can R. Kelly fly. song. <laughs> That's the one. And I don't know where I, I must have picked it up. Like, I must have heard it in like the grocery store. You know, there's no reason I should know that song because of my music aesthetic. Um, but I'm sitting there and we're eating lunch together. And I'm like, oh, I did so poorly on that test. So like, okay, like, what do you do? You just have to throw your hands up at that point and enjoy your snacks. Um, and sitting across from the instructor and that song came out. I was like, you know what? I think this song is about me. 
I really honestly believe this. I believe I can do anything I want to do. And I think that thought came from because I'd been so low and had so many horrible things happen that then I was still there. It was like, I think I, I think they might be special. Ego. I, uh, I cringe at that ego. But, and the instructor looked me in the eye. She pointed at me. She said, Philomena, do you really believe that? And I was like, yeah, I believe it. She passed you. There is, that is grace. That is grace right there. Because there is no reason she should have passed me. And how I know that she shouldn't have passed me is because fast forward a year and a half later, I had her job. I had her position. I, I was at a point where I wrote the test. I taught the class. I, I administered the test. Like, it was all because of that arch. <laughs> That's crazy. That's, I love that. But I mean, yeah, let's, I mean, let's unpack that a bit more. You, yeah, you, in the moment, there is the technical skills of the test. And maybe you didn't do as well on that as you needed to. But there was something about your personality, your demeanor, your confidence, and your, your sort of like passion to do it that she picked up on. And clearly that was more important than how you performed in that 30-minute test or hour test or whatever yeah, it absolutely. was. That is right. absolutely correct. And back to that point I made about like young people worrying too much about being in a society or being on varsity or being, no, show up well and do your best job. Whatever happens after that is out of your control. And I think you not only did your best job, but I think you were conveying basically like, I want to do this. And a lot of times people... Yeah, you'll show up, you'll be interviewing for something and you, you almost feel like if you were to say that you're, you're stepping over some boundary or line, but it's like, no, people want to hear that they can, they can pick up on that. And then you ended up getting her job. Like right. clearly you did very well. <laughs> yeah. And to this day, like I am a rock star as far as, like, as far as social, um, desktop publishing stuff. Right. Uh -huh. And that has helped me to organize my website. That has helped me help other people like resumes and how I write grants now to raise funds for art projects. And because I had those skills, like it is absolutely one of the reasons that I'm successful. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I love this because it's like, I think anybody who's looking to hire people or bring people onto the team, um, you can't like, it's, it's much harder to coach that like fire and intrinsic motivation. And so if I've got two people, yeah, if, if one person looks really hungry and I think they have the potential, it's like you, you, you have a bias towards going with that person over somebody who is masterfully proficient, but they just couldn't care less. So they're kind of neutral about the work, you know? Absolutely. That, I love that story. So, so you did that for a little while and did you ever go back to school or did you just um, go from there? Yeah, so I eventually went back to school. Um, so I worked gold. I worked at Goldman. I worked at Merrill Lynch. I worked in Alliance Capital, Blackstone. I worked at all of the, all of the biggies. Um, long story short, uh, I eventually got laid off and took my severance package and opened a, a built shop, like Fiber Arts. Really, and went and went back to school. 
took the monies and did those things and got my degree, my fine art degree. And it had been so long. I can't remember what the dates are. Whatever it says on my resume, that's what it's, <laughs> but I can't remember the dates, but uh, it had been so long that the art program had changed. And some of the things, like I was, she worked three classes. Like I was so close, but I couldn't see that when I was younger. I was just in survival mode and I couldn't see how close I was. Right. Um, but because the art program had changed, um, I had to, I had to beg and plead for them to accept the pro the classes I had taken. Wow! Right, and I did. Um, I did use my husband as some eye candy to get something. <laughs> Let's just say somebody needed to sign a paper, and this person was more interested in how my husband looked than how I looked. And so uh, I I brought Thomas with me, and uh, the two of them hit it off really well. They talked, 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 and by the end of that meeting, I got the signature, <laughs> and I got back into college, and I finished. And I it, it here's an interesting thing because my college, my original college years were full of strife and youth, and like a different kind of youth. Um. Going back as an older, young adult, I got so much more out of college when I was older. Mm. And I almost wished, like, things happen the way they're going to happen, but I almost wish I had the luxury of going to college older. I hear you. I hear you. It's, it, you're, you, I mean, most kids, when I was going to college, you just don't know that much about yourself yet or what you want to do. And, Right. I would have, I'm, I'm probably going to encourage if I, if I have kids like to do a gap year or something like that, or not jump, jump right in because it just feels sort of rushed in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I got that scholarship. There was no way I wasn't going to go. Right. 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 How did you and Thomas meet? We met in high school and we were just buddies. Uh, he's, uh, he'll say I'm so much older. We're eight months apart. So he was a junior when I was a senior. And I went to his uh, junior prom because he didn't have a date. So sad. Uh, <laughs> just as buddies. and we, But we have that photograph of us as uh, like prom dates. It's flipping adorable. <clears throat> and we've been married. This year will be 23 years. Wow. He's my best friend. He's a musician. He, we just got back from Hellfest in France. There's 240,000 people over five days. He was a musician there. Um, and so uh, was he, were you all dating when you were in college going through all that or uh, just friends? The end part, not the beginning. <clears throat> so we, we were still friendly. We were still friendly. And he went to the same college for a short time. He studied bass, guitar, uh, classic music. Um, but we were just, just buddies. And then, you know, and then years and years later, we met up to say, Hey, how's it going? And he smooched me, and I was like, "Don, this is my guy." <laughs> nice, that's great. So, um, very cool. So you all, but you were married with him by the time you went to school and finished up. When I finished, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. So, um, tell me about the quilt shop. What was that like? So, the beginning was really lovely. It was a playground. It, I often say it was like Cheers. If you if 
if anyone's ever seen <laughs> that old what's painting. their tagline something about you have a place here or something right, like that or... <laughs> right <laughs> what, what is that george went and it, everyone knows your name or something yeah like where that. everyone knows your name it felt like that but it was it was fabric and yarn uh you know people would come in i had one woman come in she had just signed her divorce papers and she came to the quilt shop so we could all rally around her. Um, we had Friday nights. Uh, we would have, I don't, there's a, there's a term called stitch and bitch, but that's not my jam. It was like stitch and like hang out. I don't like the idea of people like just. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Whining and. That's not my jam. Um, and I also, uh, at the same time was uh running a small rabbit rescue out of the quilt shop so <laughs> animals are a really important part of my life and uh rabbits are the third most abandoned animals in the u.s so i was working people with... who have pet pet rabbits so they don't want them anymore right right so there were bunnies running literally bunnies running around the shop and coming to like see what we were doing they would hop onto the couch while you were knitting it was it was an oasis and then um, sounds however it sounds, but the industry changed. So I would only buy supplies from people who would only sell to small mom and pops, if myself. And then uh, one of the biggest distributors started selling to Walmart, and we got a Walmart in our community. And I don't scientifically, I can't say that that was the downfall, but my I didn't get the sales I used to get. So we moved to a very a much smaller space and it just petered out and it left me in a lot of debt, a lot of debt. And I, I made a lot of mistakes as a business person. I just kept believing like, no, if I just add this other service, it's going to turn around. If I just move to a different location, it's going to turn around. If I just do this, it's got to turn around. And I kept sinking money in when I shouldn't have. I should have cut bait earlier. But my um, personality, my person was so connected to the business that I couldn't untangle that. And it was it was awful. At the end, it was really awful uh, for me. When I talk to old customers, like I still interact with customers from that time and they still talk so beautifully about the experiences they had and the things that they learned. And But from the end for me was, it, it, bro it really broke me. There was like a year where I was on the couch. I was feeling sorry for myself. I was, it was not good at the end. And I learned. I learned so much from that and I still like take those lessons like now when I'm putting out dollars on my business I'm thinking back like okay check yourself is this a good way to spend money for your business are you willing to let never see a return on that because if you're not willing to never see a return on that investment don't do it um so educational yes yes heartbreaking for me absolutely yeah it's um i i think it's not just artists alone but anyone who's creative or if you're doing something new you often are do, doing it because you have a an enjoyment or an attachment to that uh, thing you probably were into you know quilting and 
yarn and whatever it was, was it, you said yarn and fiber, right? Right. Yeah. So anything you could make with fiber. Yeah. Yeah. And so it makes sense for us to uh, get our identity and, and personality wrapped up in it. And so how was it? conscious or it's probably subconscious you're just thinking if if i give up on this like i'm giving up on myself or i'm giving up on a part of me or you know you know i'm not sure if i thought of it that way i think it was if i don't turn this around it's going to destroy my family say more so the amount of debt that i found myself in was so overwhelming that like i was like, not sure if I was going to have enough money for food. And so I had to make a decision. Do I find real work? Do I go back to corporate America? Right. And eventually I did. Eventually, that's what I did. I, I dried my tears. There were a lot of tears. I dried my tears. I worked on my resume. And I went back to corporate America. And I literally... Could be seen crying in my cubicle because I was like, I had it all. I had it all. I had this beautiful space. I had customers. I had bunnies. I had it all. But I didn't have it all because I didn't have the money to keep growing. Yes. To make it sustainable. Yeah. Right. So. How long did that period last? Was it years or just less than a year? Or The, the downtimes? Or the, yeah, or the, the overall, the whole quilt business. How many years was it? And then how, yeah, how was the, how long was the downtime? So the whole arc was about seven years. The whole arc. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, if you make it past the first year in business, then you usually feel like, yeah, I, I can do this. Like this is okay. working. So I could see why that would make it even harder to decide to change. Wow. Yeah. So what, um, when you were spending that time, like, morning basically you know uh that morning period what um how did you get yourself out of that funk um mental health counseling yoga i wish i could say i had a lot of uh elegance during that period but i was not an i was not a person i'd like like today i was mopey and I didn't do myself any favors sometimes, you know, and it just was a wound that had to heal like like an open wound. Honestly, I just kept having to, like, change the bandage. But lots, lots of therapy. <laughs> do you remember, was there a specific month where things turned, where you started to brighten up and pick things there, up? There was a statement that I saw on a video that my uh, mental health counselor gave me a video to watch the statement is and i this is one of the biggest ones your thoughts aren't your facts i put the word necessarily in there um your thoughts aren't necessarily your facts right so my thought i am a failure Versus the business failed. Those are different things, right? Business failed. I'm not a failure. Uh, my thought, everybody hates me now. I don't have the data on that. Do I have the data? 
did I go out and do a test and did I pull every person I know to see if they need me? I didn't. That's- and it sounds like you, 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 you had conversations with them and they were happy, but right. you still, your mind tells that to your, to your, right. you know? Right. A hundred percent. So it was that, um, it was learning that lesson where thoughts aren't necessarily facts that cracked the door for me to get healthy. I love that. Yeah. And it's like, even having that realization, you can intellectually get that idea, but then it's, it takes probably some time still after understanding that to internalize it and, and feel it because it's, it's, um, I think everybody goes through that. I go through that. You, it, it's just, if you've gone through it a couple of times, you start to realize, oh, like I'm feeling down right now, but that doesn't have to be my reality. It's just the way my brain chemistry is operating. And if you can kind of get yeah. that distance from it, it helps you. Yeah. Um, that's so powerful. So years and years later, um, I was asked to help somebody just getting out of prison. Long story short, before that, before she got out of prison, I decided I, I said yes to helping mentor her, but I wanted to get uh, some credentials in, we'll just call it coaching, personal development coaching. So I went through an online program with this guy in Scotland, and I learned more in that program than all the year, years of therapy and all of the things. So... Um, what I'm about to say, I mean, no disrespect to anyone who believes in a, an absolutely religious higher, higher power. Okay, I mean, no disrespect to anyone. I really live my life with the belief now to always remember we are forest creatures. We are still animals and we react to the world as an animal may, thinking when we're farmed that we're in this bear trap that we're never going to open. Right? Where we've evolved as human beings is that we can change that thought. Like, you're not in a bear trap. And even if you are physically in a bear trap, you actually (laughs) stepped in a bear trap, you have the facility to open the trap, to dial someone to help open the trap, to cut your leg off if you had to. If you really had to, there are movies about people who've cut their limbs, right? We're not in a bear trap. So between our thoughts are necessarily facts, we're not caught in a bear trap. If we keep remembering those things, we're going to be able to get to a healthy mind state faster. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean it happens like that. But the more right. you employ it, the faster it, it happens. Um, and I, I want that for everybody. I want everyone to remember you're not in a bear trap. And if you are, you have the facilities to... Maybe not in the exact moment, but maybe, yeah, uh, get out of that state. It's, um, it's a great idea. And it's, um, the other thing that comes to mind for me is I feel like as you progress through life and you have these adversities, it gives you perspective and it helps you, um, be able to endure more. Like, I feel like you obviously you wouldn't want to go back and have to revisit any of these spaces of life, but do you feel like you're your uh, emotional bandwidth or how much you can kind of tolerate is increase. I, yeah, that. And also, I also think that you narrow how many things upset you. 
Like I am upset a lot less than some other people. I think because I just don't give an S about a lot. So stuff that you maybe in the past would have carried, you just release it faster. Exactly. I think that's a good metaphor. It's like, I think we, yeah, we carry these burdens and if you can just take them off your back, you're like, you don't have to be the one carrying them. (laughs) One of the best books on this topic is by Michael A. Singer. He's in Florida. He, uh, The Untethered Soul. Okay. Uh, I have read and reread it and my coaching clients, it's like a prerequisite before we start sometimes, depending on the client. But you can, YouTube has audiobooks of it. And it's not necessarily an easy read all the time. Um, it's not like The Four Agreements. Uh, that's an easy I read. I love that book. I love that book. And that's another one. Just buy, just buy a stack of those and like dish them out to people. Um, nobody needs another candle. Um, <laughs> but The Untethered Soul is a really great one. And he wrote that while he was in uh, immense... Uh, at, uh, an immensely painful time in his life. So read that. Cool. Cool. So it sounds like that coaching program you were in with the guy in Skyland, that was very impactful. Like what else was impactful about it? Um, he was so straightforward. So <clears throat> one thing being, uh, one thing I'm proud about, about being a Jersey girl is we were pretty direct. We're pretty direct. And this guy, Kane Ramsey is the guy's name, who's the the mentor. Mm-hmm. He was direct. You know, he wasn't like tiptoeing about like our gentle feelings. You know, he used a lot of uh, allegory, which I thought was great. We'll talk, you know, yeah. The idea with the, his coaching technique is that you're people are going to come to you when they're down in a pit. They can't see the ladder. There's a ladder right there, but they can't see it. So what you need to do is. Climb down the ladder like halfway and be like, dude, let's go. Right. It wasn't, yes, you're in a pit. Yes, it's going to take time. It's like, no, there's a flipping ladder right there. Let's go. And I really appreciate that. It, it's interesting. So I don't have a hundred percent success rate with my coaching clients. So my, my coach, when, when I coach with people in the beginning, it's 12 weeks. I don't have 100% pe- of the people we can get through the 12 weeks because it's too direct. And I'm not willing to soften it for their be- for what they think is their benefit. I think it's a disbenefit to them if I soften it. Short term, it feels better. Longer term, it doesn't serve them. Right. Right. Um, and, and that's okay. I have people who come back who want to finish the 12 weeks, which I feel like that feels really good. Like, They'll spend some t- a few weeks thinking about the stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, his directness was was the jam. And that Scottish accent, like, come on. <laughs> I have I wouldn't be surprised if yes. I feel like the Scottish people are probably pretty direct in their dealings. Yeah. And they love stories, so it doesn't surprise me that he does allegories and all that stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's awesome. So um all right. So you went back to corporate life for a little yeah. while. Um did you get to a point where that wasn't so terrible and you were you were okay with it or you know yeah it was fine it was fine so i have this um in our household we believe in rightful livelihood meaning make money doing things that aren't so harmful to, to the world you know um 
the things I was doing in corporate America were the opposite. Gotcha. So gotcha. I was in, I was encouraged by my own ethics, internal ethics to get out of there. Um, eventually we decided, so in all of this, during the housing crisis in 2008, we like somehow skipped stoned over all of the drama and bought a house in, in upstate New York, 22 acres, a little cabin. So we eventually decided we just did were you buy move. after the market went down during the whole thing. Oh, wow. We did. We just were so oblivious to we hadn't. We're like, screw it. We're moving to the country. Um, and we just worked it out. So my husband stayed up at the cabin. We got a dog and I would travel three days a week down to the city. So like four and a half hours, I would travel back down to the city, uh, still working at corporate jobs. And I, in one of those bands, I was in one of those punk bands, I would like perform and then get on a bus and come up to the cabin. And we just decided we were going to figure out how to be upstate full time. Just one little step at a time. Um, eventually somebody hired me for a photography project up here which led to me working at, uh, it was a library project. Mm-hmm. And eventually the library hired me because I could do this corporate stuff. Mm-hmm. So I took my corporate skills, moved it to library, which was rightful livelihood because I believe in the library system. Eventually my husband found a job back in the city, but he would, he would travel for like a week. He'd be in the city for a week and then he'd come back to the country. We did that for a number of years. and then. I uh, eventually I was renting a, an art space up here, and was just about to rent a a an office space for coaching. Uh, we recognized that the two rentals were more than a mortgage. Wow! So we bought this place that I'm sitting in right now. So where I'm sitting is my coaching office. Over there is my art studio. Upstairs is my husband's music studio. And I have a, a sewing studio, so I'm still sewing. Um, it was less, it was like a third of what my rental would have been. Wow. We bought it 10 minutes before the pandemic. <laughs> and uh, the pandemic was a boon for me, which sounds awful, and I'm sorry. Luckily, we didn't get too sick. No one in our family got too sick. Um, I was able to figure out how to do um virtual art lessons from wow. and all of the art uh cultural centers were given some grant money some emergency grant money hired me and other artisans to do virtual art throughout the pandemic wow um wait so before we before we get more into that like tell me let's go back a little bit so why did you guys want to move to the country it was my husband's happy place. So he has some family up here and he would spend his summers here as a, a young person. It's like the fresh air funds almost. It, it was, it's just easier to live up here, but you need to know how to work. You need to know how to get a job. Um, it, it's, it's so beautiful. Like we, we have traveled a lot and we've been lucky to travel. Like we've been to Europe multiple times and, uh, uh, this is maybe the most beautiful place we've ever experienced. 
upstate New York. And it, I'm not talking like Orange County, where it's like 90 minutes from Manhattan. We're four and a half hours, four, three and a half, four and a half hours. Are you closer to Canada? Yeah. 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 So, and the property values, we knew we, there's no way we were going to buy something in New Jersey where your yard is measured in inches, right? Like, our 22 acres was less than a car. The house I'm sitting in right now, it's 1897 Victorian, and I'm a, aesthetics are so important to me. I need to be in an old, old, weird house, um, was less than $90,000. Wow. So the two mortgages that we hold right now are less than our rent in New Jersey combined. You need to know how to find a job, though. You that That's the other side of it, right? Yeah, everything's cheaper, but there may not be as many jobs going around in that local economy. Right. right. So you have, yeah, you have to know. And, and we're still working that out for my husband. Like, he isn't in his dream position right yet. We're still working that out, but we're going to work it out. Good. That's awesome. So when did you guys move to the country? Was it in the last five years, 10 years so ago? 2011, we were full-time in the country. Okay, cool. So yeah, just a little over a decade ago. Cool, cool. Um, when did you start doing murals? Uh, during the pandemic. It was, again, grant monies came up, uh, emergency artisan grant monies. Uh, it was called the creation economy, I think. The grant program, I could be wrong about that, but it was a way to make art uh, where people could observe it and still social distance. Yeah. And before my first mural, like the biggest thing I painted was uh, like a, a seven foot by five foot painting. And I just figured it out. And I also learned that I don't like ladders. I get my, I get like cartoon jiggle legs on ladders, but so that was fun to learn. <laughs> what, um, yeah. Why, why do you feel like you were comfortable just saying yes to that, even though you hadn't done it before? You know, what, what gave you that confidence? Um, we, we joke and say that there's something in my DNA that's missing. Like I forget to get nervous, like before a, an interview before, like going on stage with the bands, like. Other people are biting their nails and drinking, you know, I'm like, I don't know. It's like something that's missing in my DNA, which I'm glad for. You know, I have other uh, quirks that I would like to let go of, but it's, I just. It is so valuable. Like you, I can just tell you from your energy is you just have this sort of like, yes, attitude. It seems right. like, <laughs> and you don't let, talk yourself out of things. You just go for it. And then figure it out. And then you say, oh, well, I learned something about myself. I learned that I don't like ladders. I learned this. But you don't let the fear of what if I don't like ladders, you exactly. know, yeah. get in the way of trying. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I laugh about it, but I think it's like self-preservation isn't part of the... Yeah. Well, I don't know. And, I, and honestly, I'm not much of a risk taker. Like, I don't gamble i drink very little i don't do drugs like i'm not a risk taker in other ways like i literally have a hard time walking downstairs quickly like i'm like okay okay but then there's this other part of me like thank goodness i so, is it just that the creative side of you or like the performance side there's some part of you where you're just comfortable putting yourself out there 
Yeah, I think. And my father was a musician. Uh, my brother is one of the best guitar players literally in the world. I think it's part of the DNA. And I've yeah. studied and I've studied improv. Here's another Philomena's tip of the day. Everyone go take an improv class. It is remarkable. I'm remarking right now. Um, and life changing. I haven't I don't think I've taken an improv class, but um I wrote a book. It's called Improv. Um, and it was recommended to me by like a kind of a a business blogger, business writer. And I read it when I was first learning about sales because I think we have, we get so attached to how we present ourselves in the world. And in improv, you learn that you can put on like different masks and like wear different personas and become different people and like pretend like you're high status and important, even if you don't feel like it when you're just walking around day to day. And so um, anybody who's looking to like uh, step out in a big way and like inhabit a different sort of energy or persona when you converse with strangers, like learning about improv is a really good way to see how you can do that, even if you don't feel like that in your heart of hearts. Exactly. And then all of a sudden you do it and then you get like people respond positively and then you're like, oh, like maybe this is part of me. And then you get this positive feedback loop going. Yep. Um, any reaction to that or any anything to add there? Oh, abs I absolutely agree. So the the idea of, of improv is yes and. Like you say yes to your teammate and you add something useful, right? Michael Singer, who I mentioned earlier, his second book is The Year of Saying Yes, I believe. Year of Saying Yes. And that's all about him just deciding, like, he was just going to say yes to every opportunity, even if he didn't want to do it, even if he didn't want to do it. And something that has helped me a lot uh, with my mental health journey is the word anyway. I'm going to do a thing anyway. So another part of my journey is I had a, a chronic illness uh, that I eventually had a major operation, took care of it. but. I spent a lot of my time in a lot of pain from the time I was 11 to about 40. Wow. Eventually got it fixed. And I would have to do things anyway. I would have to go to work anyway. I would have to walk the dog anyway, right? Um, so now I use that word every day. I, you don't want to do a thing. You got to do it anyway. doesn't matter if you don't want to do it. Like, you got to walk the dog. You got to feed the dog. You got to wash your body right i don't care if you're depressed i go and wash your body uh anyway <laughs> so that that's part of it um it, so the first improv class i took was in new york city i was feeling awful i was in the pits i just wasn't feeling well emotionally i was like i'm going to this thing I'm going and i literally i felt Harry, I feel like I floated back to the hotel room after the class. It it opened up the anyway idea to me that mm -hmm. you can be the person you want to be by not giving in to the negative chatter, which let lead you back to your thoughts aren't necessarily facts, right? They all come together. So powerful. That's awesome. Yeah. So I would, I definitely back up that recommendation and, um, that yes. And energy is so important. Um, you know, if you're ever talking to a client, uh, trying to do a mural or a commission or whatever, um, sometimes people who are new, they have more of a yes, but energy. 
Like, and then you get into this arguing energy and you don't ever want to argue with people, but you can, you can think in your head about where you disagree or where there's not alignment. But then if you bring that forward with say yes and, and then build on top of it, it makes all the difference in the world about how they respond to where you differ from their opinion and, and then they might move to what you want to do or what you propose. And, um, it's so subtle, but like we can make our lives a lot easier if you're aware of these sorts of communication techniques. I, I love that. I love that. And so I'm a member of your program. Uh, what are you calling it right now? The Academy. The Academy. I'm a member of the Academy. And that's one of the things that attracted me to it uh, was it felt like that. It felt like we are just going to have conversations with people and we're going to get to where we can get to by to create new collectors, right? New opportunity. Yep. Yeah. I also love this. I love this. I use this a lot is tell me more about that. The phrase, tell me more about that. So someone is disagreeing with you, complaining to you. But, you know, it works on both sides. It works on the positive side and when you're having uncomfortable conversations. Use the phrase, tell me more about that. It is so disarming to the other person. They're like, oh, that she's not coming back to me with negative energy. She's interested in me. And that's all we want. Again, forest creatures, we want people to be interested in us. You just want us, we want to be people to be interested. So if your in-laws are talking to you and you don't like what they're saying, Ask them the question. Tell me more about that. Yeah. You know, you've got, you know, a teacher who's giving you a hard time about something. Ask them, tell me more about that. Right. You've got yeah. a client who's like, well, I don't know. Tell me more about that. It's so it's so funny, but there's probably like less than, I don't know, five things like that, that if you just add to your tool belt, it just makes all your relationships so much more smooth. Um, and like, because a lot of times when people have uh, an issue or a problem, they may not fully voice it because they don't even know if you uh, really want to hear it. Right. And I call that sometimes a smoke screen and it's not necessarily malicious. It's just, they're not used to people wanting to, uh, wanting them to fully open up. But then if you say something like, tell me more or like, what else or anything like that, then all of a sudden they dig in and you feel like, oh, the real issue is not X, it's actually Y. And now you can actually talk to them about that. And they're like, oh, you can do something about why for me? Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. This makes me think of why it's important, I think, for, for artisans or anybody, but artisans to write their um, artist statement about their work. You know, some sometimes you have people complain like, oh, there's so much to write about this. Like if you're in a grant, you're writing a grant. Oh, why do I have to write this all out? I know what I mean, right? One, other people aren't in your head, and B, it helps you to clarify what it is you're doing. Right? Maybe right. you have this morphous idea, and sometimes you need to strain out the bits that don't work and get like the good, juicy stuff that works. Write that shit down. Write it. <laughs> write it. Right. Write it down. Um, I write all of the artist statements that you can, even if someone isn't asking you to. Write it down so that, uh, again, to talk about it, having a uh, elevator speech, that'll help you develop uh, what it is you want to say in the shortest, most concise way. Yes, yes. And people, 
kind of write in different ways. Like I don't teach this in any of my training, but the way I always come up with new copy messaging is I just get out of there and I have conversations. I just have enough conversations where I get to a point where it's like, wow, that was just a really tight way of conveying that. And then I lock it in and it becomes like a script, but I, I have to write almost in like a conversational interactive way for me to get to good material. Um, and but, who taught um, you that? Um, trying to think if I learned that anywhere. Um, I think it was just an emergent, um, an emergent thing where I had uh, been in sales programs myself and I had, and they teach, you know, coming up with scripts and writing things down and all of that. So I did that for a while and I would do things where I'd have paper in front of me and I'd, you know, reference it and read from it. But then I got to a point where I kind of memorized it almost like, like an actor, right? You memorize it, but then the other person doesn't know that they're in a play with you. So it's kind of improv in that way, right? <laughs> And, um, and then I just would have, I think by necessity, I was having so many conversations that I would just try little things, little tweaks. I wouldn't radically make changes, but I would, and I just found about myself that, um, the act of sitting down with paper and trying to write stuff out, I would get, I would slow down. I'd worry that internal dialogue would get in the way. And if I just talked to people, um, I would, I would be more creative and I would iterate faster through different ideas. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a practice thing. It's a being able to ask for what you want, you know, even if it's not a direct question, but, but opening doors, you know, in your conversations with people. So let's shift gears for a second. Like, tell me about, you know, you've, you, you seems like you've been able to have these different creative outlets interact, uh, you know, uh, make them commercial, make a living from them at different points. Um, have you ever felt overwhelmed or like spread thin by doing so many different things? Or is it just you've been able to navigate that because of your personality and your skill set? Um, it's it's both things. And on any given day, it may be on one side of the slide or the other. Um, up on my office wall here, I have got post-its of all the projects that are in the works or, or eminent. Uh, and sometimes I'm like, holy moly, woo, I need an adult. And sometimes I hire uh, someone to be an assistant, you know, even mm -hmm. for a couple of hours, and that that's great. Um, and at this tier totters point in my career where I, thankfully, luckily, I shout it, the great, the gratitude, I am in demand, which is fantastic. In demand for what? Um, murals, uh, custom design work. Um, I also teach hula hooping, so I'm doing movement classes. Yeah. Um, and I'm edging my prices up as I can. I'm also in a community where the median, uh, the median income, um, so I, I cast a wider net all the time. And, you know, there are other communities. So I'm at this teeter-totter point where I'm in demand and making money, but I'm not making quite enough money to have um, consistent assistance, right? Like, I am, I envy couples that can work, like, my husband and I, we work together well, but he's not, like, my, he's like, 
not my creative business partner. And I envy people who like the husband and wife are both like, you know, I ain't got that. So I need to hire people to help me. Right. And um, I'm just at that point. Like, I'm hoping like next week, six months, a year, I'm going to be at the other place where I consistently have assistance. Some help. When you have so many irons in the fire in your head, is there one that's like the primary one typically, or are you just able to juggle it all kind of equally? Um, so I visualize it like, you, you know, there's a saying about uh, only paying attention to what's in front of your flashlight. They keep yeah, moving, or six right? inches in front of your face, right? Right. So um, I'm a person, so I use a lot of planners. So my Google calendar, I live by that. I live I just do what the robot tells me I need to do. Thank goodness for that Google calendar. And then every week I write out uh, what it's going to be for the week to help that part of my brain. Um, but I look at what the most important deadline is. Mm -hmm. And then I have like this, uh, I almost see it like a foggy understanding of the things that are coming up. So sometimes things take a lot of prep. Like if I'm teaching a class, like, Next week, I'm teaching a class on embroidery. So I my sample's already done, so I know check, but I have to check to see if I have enough supplies for all the students, right? Yeah, so yeah. It's a, it's a little foggy, but I know it's there. But the most important thing today, like today after this, I'm teaching an hour-long drawing class, and then I'm finishing a mural today. Like, those are in focus. Those yes. got, gotta happen. Then, then it just keeps moving through the forest of what's the next deadline? Do you kind of like plan tomorrow, today, you like plan yeah. a week at a time and kind of map that out? A, a week at a time for sure. Uh, depend Unless there's like major supplies. Like some of my paint supplies come from California, uh, yeah. from Nova Color Paint, which they just did a highlight on me. So excited. Yes. <laughs> so that I got to be more careful and tighter. Like I have okay. to plan that S out. Um but then another brand that I use is in the same area code as me. So I know I can get overnight paint from them. Right. So I don't have to worry quite as much. But I, I've i never been diagnosed as a person with ADD or ADHD. ADHD, I think they call it now. Yeah. Right. And I don't honestly care because a diagnosis isn't going to change me, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. just don't care. I just don't care. But. My friends and family would tell me I'm doing too many things. I'm I'm stretched too thin. But I am so much happier when I'm making things uh -huh. and when I'm around color. So okay. like, so I'm happier doing that. And, you know, I'm I'm pretty well rested. I go to the gym multiple times a week. I, you know, eat really well. I've got yeah. great relationship, so I guess I'm doing it okay. It's so interesting because you, you probably don't, you probably keep believe it, but so many artists that I speak to, a lot of them that don't necessarily, they may or may not join the academy or be in the academy. But I get I talk to these people and they're like, "I'm doing a children's novel. I'm making a cookbook. I'm a painter. I'm a sculptor. I'm," and it's and uh, it's very rare to see somebody like you who's actually um, making income from multiple things like that and actually like turning it into a sustainable life. So, um, kudos to you. And, um, you know, I, I've always, 
it's my perspective. It's not the full perspective, but where, I, where I've always looked at it is I feel like the folks that I've seen who do that and are struggling more than you, it's like um, if I could show them how they picked one thing or fewer things and then learn how to express creativity in like the marketing and the sales and the business elements of it, they could have more success, but they don't see, they may just be, it's like an unknown unknown. It's that fog you're talking about. And it's not clear to them that that's an area that they can be creative in. Um, so what are your thoughts on all that? Like, does that resonate with you? Yeah. So, uh, I don't play video game like call of duty. I'm never going to play call of duty, but I will play Instagram reels. Like I see social media and all things as the game that I'm playing. The entrepreneur thing is my game. And it is, I feel like my beautiful brother, he's down in New Orleans, best musician. Again, he's literally one of the best guitar players in the world. He hates social media. He, he feels like it's asking people like, oh, right. Oh, if I, you know, we all have to hit our heads (laughs) on our own rocks, but treat social media like a game and uh sometimes you win it sometimes you save the prince and sometimes you don't right right you don't have control over all of that so treat it like a game remember that you're only renting social media that is your rental property and it can be taken away from you at any minute so you need to own your website own your website and rent social media And make a thing, take a picture, share it, repeat. Make a thing, take a picture, share it. And I used to feel embarrassed. I have over 4,000 Instagram posts. I used to feel embarrassed about that. And now I'm like, no, like, I am proud of these things. I'm not, you know, I'm not showing you that the, uh, I'm not showing you my breakfast. I'm showing you this this project that I was so graciously invited to do. Right. You know, just keep sharing that good stuff. Let people see that you're a human being. Like, you know, sometimes like a project doesn't work out and I'll make a funny post about it. And that's fine. Yes, yes, yes. But treat it like a game. Treat it like a game. There is time to do these things. People say, there's no time for social media. There is time for... 30 seconds of pressing buttons. You can press buttons yes. for 30 seconds. Yes. And like, I think if people can look at it as a game and they, or even look at it as another art medium that they need to master, any sort of helpful reframe like that where you can say, oh, like, yeah, this isn't a have to do. This is a I get to do, you yeah. know? And uh, if, you, yeah. So anyway, any, if anyone out there feels like they're spread around too thin, like, and they're not doing anything to promote themselves. Yeah, give them give yourself permission to look at promoting yourself as an art medium, as an art practice. Right. And that's a really big breakthrough. And there are people out there, the people that are most successful, or a lot of the people that are very successful on social media, their 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 one art is their one creative outlet is promoting themselves, basically. Like that's what influencers are, is they basically just specialize in getting really good at social media. You know, right. so, yeah, so interesting. So I'm interested in the word shame and being shameless, like shamelessly promoting, like people that, like will say, oh, maybe I'm shamelessly promoting myself, right? We don't, why would we want anyone to feel shame? 
right? Why you wouldn't want your best yeah. friend to feel yeah. shame about something. You wouldn't want your family, right? You for yourself, like shut that word down. Yes. Put it in a suitcase, throw it out the door. Yes. Yes. You know, and you talk about us being forest animals to agree. Like I think a lot of the, of the way we operate, it's like our evolutionary biology, our lower mammalian brain, our lower lizard brain, all that stuff, the limbic system. Um, I have no direct evidence of this. I haven't studied this, but like just intuitively you would think if we, if you go back thousands of years, we're in these little tribes and things like that. If you went out there and stood out on your own and you said something and you got a little bit of hate or heat, like we're, we're so afraid of being ostracized and removed from the tribe. And I think that's why, like, if you put some social media out there, some post, and you might get 10 likes, but you get one negative comment. Some people just get wrecked by that. <laughs> yeah. And that's what that shame comes from. They're, they're afraid of like being found out or not being like they have an imposter syndrome or whatever it is. And, um, what, one, one thing that helped me was I was never a big social media producer socially anyway. And so when I learned about using social media for business, I just said, well, even though this is this account is saying Harry Welchel and it is my personal brand, it isn't me. It's like this tool that I'm using. It's a, and again, like a persona, like improv, I'm putting something out there, which is authentic and part of me, but it's not all of me. And I'm not like, it's not like, uh, when I get that negative attention, it's, it's saying less about me and more about that person and whatever they've got going on that they're doing that, you know? Yep. Oh, that that's good stuff. That that's the stuff right there. So like the coaching cap, right? So we have we have a negativity bias in order to keep us alive. Like don't right. eat berries that will kill you. Don't touch the stove, right? So we that's useful. Go with the crowd. Stay stay in your tribe, you know. Stay in the tribe. Right. Cuz if if you're not given shelter, food and sex, you're going to die. Right? So how do you get those three things? Is by not being wrong. So if you understand that everyone, everyone, you, me, your male person, your your UPS driver, we're all just trying to not be wrong. If you that will allow you to give people so much more grace. So if you release the idea that you're wrong and that you're doing the best that you can. Yes. You will have a better time. You'll enjoy the ride more. Yes. Yes. And it comes up. The funniest way that comes up, Flumina is like so many people come to me, the artists I work with, and they'll be like, I want to make sure that my Instagram post is right. Right. And that, and that's the flip side of feeling like it can be wrong. But I have to say, there's not really a right or wrong. That's like the wrong um, binary to be thinking along. But I think we get that. Yeah. So I'm so glad you brought that up, you know, because it's a. Uh, it's not about that. It's about, what did you say it was again? So. Uh, it's not about being, it, people are afraid of being wrong, but instead of that, what should they do? They should just release that. Just release it. Yeah. Just release it. Just, I I have this, uh, you know, mental vision of like putting things I don't need in a suitcase and putting it on the curb. You know, okay. Put it out there because. You don't even, we don't even know unless we wake up to how our brains work, we don't know that we're doing it, you know. You'll wear clothing that you think will get you more love or get you no attention, no negative attention. You'll paint your rooms pale, gray. Like, stop it. 
everyone. If you don't, unless you like gray, great. But if you like yellow, paint your room yellow. You, uh-huh. you can't. Again, your in-laws come over and think you're wrong for painting it yellow. No, they they aren't giving you uh, housing. They aren't giving you food, and they're hopefully not giving you sex. Right. So release being wrong. So there's this this allegory about uh, fish and swimming along. Do you know this one about the fish? Is it the David Foster Wallace, like this is water thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You want to say it? <laughs> uh, so the shortest version that I know, fish are swimming along saying, hey, this is a nice day. Nice day to be a fish. And then another fish comes by in the other direction and says, hey, fellow fish, how's the water? And the first two fish are like, what the heck is water? <laughs> yeah. We are all in water all the time, and we forget that we're in water all the time. So we have to remind ourselves, you're just in some sort of water, right? Check that the water is clean for you. (laughs) (laughs) Or if it's good water for somebody else. I love it. So with the different things you've got going on, you're in demand. Like, what is, what's lighting you up the most right now? What are you most inspired about the different projects you have? I've been creating puppets. So I, I I teach a lot of kids' classes in cultural centers, and yeah. I started making these paper puppets uh, in a class. So I, so my advice to everyone who's got kids. I feel like you, you every time I ask you a question, you introduce a new like thing that you're doing. <laughs> that, is correct. that is correct. So kids, uh, as well as like making art, like giving them like two-dimensional art to create, Give them three-dimensional things to engineer. Then okay. really light up the kids in, in, in a lot of different ways. Um, so I've been creating these paper puppets with, with them. And because I let, I'm a sewer, I can sew a lot of things. I was like, and I, I just, who doesn't love the Muppets? If you don't love the Muppets, maybe we can't be friends. I don't know. <laughs> um, Another thing that I do is I, for our local college, I am the huh. costume coordinator for our, for the theater department. Cool. And uh, we have a production coming up that's going to need some puppets. So I'm playing with making these puppets. I can't stop thinking about puppets right now. Like it is, my brain is like, um, so puppets are really important to me. And I mentioned the, uh, I'm a hula hoop instructor. A certified yeah. hula hoop instructor, and I use meditation. So modern hula hooping isn't about your waist so much. Okay, it's about meditation and moving your body and getting your um your your hormones, your chemicals to like chill out. Okay. Um, it's about being silly in your body and feeling your body. So I've been doing that. I just worked with a group of domestic violence survivors uh, in a multiple week program so i'm looking at more ways i can incorporate that into my community and looking for grant monies so i can um in a sustainable way teach a lot of hula hooping to people so cool huh (laughs) so not the murals not the uh well the murals are all happening that's what that's what feeds the dog so they're so what's doing well financially is not the thing that you're most fired about creatively at the moment. Right. Right. Totally I've fair. Ma- I've made my day job murals. How awesome is it? That's awesome. Yeah. Isn't that, I mean, that's, 
you, and you, you don't, we, we shouldn't take that for granted. Like that's a big deal. <laughs> that is a big deal. I, I have, again, just putting one foot in front of the other, using my intuition and not being so hard on myself when my intuition is wrong. Sometimes my heart, intuition is wrong, i.e. that felt business that I messed up there, but now I'm, again, putting my feet in front of one another. What feels good? What feels like the right thing? What feels yeah. like um, the thing that has the potential, right? I love that you're doing murals. And anybody who's listening, if you're looking for a way to increase your prices and get some wins and some confidence, like every little city, every area, they have these government grants, nonprofit grants, businesses that want to be kind of cool. If they're starting up, they've got a new space they often want art on the walls or outside the building it's just a great way to get like your four first four figure you know even up to like five figure type deals as an artist a hundred percent and i am happy to help anyone like make contact there are some things that i've learned i'm actually working on compiling a book to help new neuralists like don't make the mistakes i've made yeah um and a, a great bit of advice, wherever you are, there is a arts council somewhere. Yeah. Right? Join the arts council. Be a member of the arts council. Get your face out there. Get people to know you. Be be personable. Yeah. And then you'll be top of mind. Yeah. That, that no like and trust is so important, right? They know you. <laughs> they like you well enough to want to have a couple of sentences transpire. And they trust you because they've seen that you've done the thing. And how did they see that you did the thing? Because you posted it on your social media. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I mean, I think, yeah, showing that you can do the work, you're 100% right, is a way to build trust. But I think as you progress and maybe you do more, you'll you'll come to a point where people maybe haven't seen any of your work, but you are communicating so well and you're so quietly confident that they build up enough trust that you do actually know what you're doing and they haven't seen anything. And that's like a big insight too. You're like, oh, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I am very blessed. Like I I go to the supermarket and people say these really nice things to me and I don't know who they are, uh -huh. you know, uh, but they say, I saw that mural. I took a picture in front of this mural. Like it's that that's the, for me, that's the goal of the murals is to bring light and happiness and color to our community. Okay. Murals are sandcastles, so don't get too connected to a mural. Once you step off of that ladder and you're done, it doesn't belong to you anymore. It is right. communities. So if it gets tagged, it gets tagged. If it gets taken down, if it falls off, literally falls off the wall. It's okay. It, right. It is not yours anymore. You're there to create a beautiful place for the community. That, that mural isn't yours. Let me ask you this. Have you ever done any sort of parties or events to unveil murals or launch murals yeah absolutely uh we do rib ribbon cuttings invite the media invite your news your news people because yes. they, they need it um i just finished one at a cafe a harry potter themed cafe and they're having their first year anniversary so we're going to do a ribbon cutting even though yes right it's it's been there the whole time um i'm working on a silo so tomorrow Friday and Saturday, uh, I'm up on a huge lift on a silo in a very, very rural spot. Nothing happens in this area. Uh, so it is big news to everyone. And um, 
I could talk a long time. I, I, anyone needs advice, talk, yeah, find, find me. I'm happy to talk to you about supplies sure. and. Love it. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think I've told you about this. You may not have heard, but I read a book recently called The Two Hour Cocktail Party. Have you heard about this? No, tell me. Um, I had just not hosted people in a, in a while and I wanted to get into doing that and um, just totally for fun. And so I found this book. How did I find it? I think I saw it online somewhere, had bought a copy, but hadn't read it in six months. So then I finally broke down and read it, loved it. And it, the author just does a really good job of um, uh, having a method that's simple, easy to follow, and gives you good tips on how to organize it. So anyway, the last four months, I've done a party every month, once once a month. And um, it's so much fun. And the guy, the author, I actually got, got on the phone with him a couple of times. I've talked to him about it. He's just really passionate about helping people build community and gatherings. And he had a former business where he was doing these unconventional art tours in New York. He, had, he started a company called Museum Hacks. <laughs> So we got talking about art and the art stuff. And he was like, oh my gosh, your artists should put on parties as a way to get new business. And I was like, You're, yes, like, like totally agree. Maybe, maybe I suggested that to him and he was like, yes, you should definitely do that. Um, so your murals, it just made me think of that. You might want to pick up that book or if you've got already a process, but I love what you just said about, you, it doesn't have to be right when you make the mural. It can be a year. It can be, you can come up with whatever reason you want. Just any excuse to bring, bring community together, bring the media together, um, get attention on what you're doing, and then get videos, get photos, all that social proof, and then put that on Instagram, you 100%, know? 100%. 100%. And I bet you could probably get your next mural at every one of those ribbon cuttings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so one of the biggest uh, tragedies in our society right now is loneliness, right? Give people a reason to leave their houses and do something fun, low cost, no cost. People are right. desperate for community, for leadership. They right. just need somebody to step out and make that first move toward them exactly. to like invite them to something. Exactly. So invite as many people as you can because you're, I, I can't overstate this, but you are literally saving lives when you get people back in community and out of their loneliness hole for you know an hour or two hours like a two hour <laughs> right and it's um yeah like i think so anyway i just love what you're doing and i'm happy to talk to you more about that anytime you want but um i think that you could really really turn that into a nice smooth running operation for you to get more business if you turn it into events and it yeah. sounds like you're already well on your way to doing yeah. that that's awesome <laughs> All right, so okay, the puppets, the hula hooping, um, is the hula hooping part of your coaching? Like, well, actually, yeah. What is your coaching? Tell me about your coaching practice. So, um, a lot of the people who come to me are in transition. We're all in transition, but sometimes it's bigger, like uh, changing careers, uh, uh, retiring. One of my clients had just had a really serious health diagnosis, and we were working through. So part of it is meditation and therapeutic hypnosis. Um, it's getting you're a hypnotist. We are all hypnotists. I, I, like let's 
bring the curtain back. We're all hypnotized and hypnotizing each other every minute of every day. So uh, I can't make you cluck like a chicken, but I can help you. I can help you uh, meditate in a different way. Um, so it's helping people going from A to B. Uh, or maybe they don't even get to B. They just look at A for a little while. But therapy is about looking at your behind, what's behind you okay. and how you're affected by that. Coaching okay. is going forward. Right. Right. Uh, I can't help people who are, are diagnosed with something. I, I can't help you with that diagnosis. I can just help you recognize your feet are on solid ground right here and how are we going to go forward. Um, I usually work with people, like, like I said, for 12 weeks at the beginning and then um, drop, drop ins. And sometimes it's hiking, sometimes it's hula hooping, sometimes it's just sitting in the office and writing things out. Um, everyone should write things in a book or on paper. Everyone should write things on a, in a book or on paper. That is the hardest thing to get my coaching clients to do. That homework is the hardest. I can get people to make phone calls and paint rooms and like clean out closets, but I, if you, if everyone just wrote stuff down, you're halfway there. Writing is really, at the end of the day, you're just thinking, right? And I think yeah, people have a hard time wanting to be with their thoughts and like reflect, you know, especially if they've been through hard things or negative things that they're being asked to to reflect on. Um, yeah. I, I was able to have a bit of a vacation a couple of weeks ago. Um, did a little retreat in North Georgia. It's a personality tests. And then I came across this thing. It's like um, a thing that Jordan Peterson puts out. It's called self-authoring. And he's got like an exercise about like looking through your past and your present. And anyway, so I'm, I'm doing that right now. And I try to do something like that every five years or something like that. And it's, it's, it's hard. It's not, it just, yeah, it just takes time to, to write through stuff. So I can resonate with your clients. <laughs> so yeah. one of the things that I, you know, we don't know each other personally. We, you know, just through this context here, but yeah. it seems that you are really able to focus on one thing. Like it, you said, like, I have all these things, like every 10 seconds, I can tell you something yeah. new, right? Yeah. So you're, it seems to me like you're able to focus on a, on a activity or a, an adventure, right? And not have so many side adventures. Is that accurate? I think, yeah, I have other interests and things. I think it's where I think it comes from is I'm, I'm so hungry for certain uh, outcomes and wanting to have an impact in a certain area that I'm willing to say, hey, I've got these other awesome things as well. And I'm willing to put them down to focus on this one awesome thing. And sort of that calculus, I guess I'm, I'm able to do. And then I... And then I recognize that there are ways within that constraint I put on myself to still get that creative outlet, to get variability. I actually do like variability a lot, but instead of needing that variability through different things I'm doing with my hands or in different mediums, like privately, I feel like like these sets of conversations, like this podcast, or when I used to do sales calls, like that's a really good way to scratch that itch uh, for me. And um, um as an entrepreneur in a business, yeah, like every time, every six months, 12 months, your job is kind of changing, even if your title's the same. So, um, 
Yeah, I I think everyone can focus at different degrees, but I think um, if you, it just makes logical sense to me that if you want to have a big impact to try to go in one direction and go there for year, three years, five years, you can go further than if you go, you know, the same first two steps in 10 different paths, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. I admire it. Well, thank you. I, I, I admire that you're able to do everything that you're doing. Cause again, like most times when I run across people that, uh, try that, they end up, um, just not, not be able to make that much income from what they're doing. Um, but I think like what I'm picking up from you is you've got this baseline, um, comfort putting yourself out there. You're very personable. Um, and all of that I think helps you because you can just say yes to things and then people say yes to you. And then, um, you're not, you're not getting hung up like a lot of other people might around the communication side of things, you know? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, I bet like all the, uh, yeah, all the coaching you've done and the fact that you coach people, I think that's one of the things that drew me to coaching was I wanted to learn these skills really well and what better way to learn them than to teach other people, right? You have to really know it if you can te to te teach it. And you probably benefited a lot, I would imagine, from that in your own journey. Yeah. That education and sharing that's this information is the singular most uh, powerful thing that leads me to better uh, mental health and just making better decisions. Nice. Nice. That's awesome. Well, this has been so much fun, Philomena. I'm really glad to like learn a bit more about you and your background. Um, anything else you want to share or any, anything else at closing as we wrap up? Uh, again, I'm happy, always happy to help people. Uh, I'm easy to find. Um, yeah, if people want to find more about you online, where can they find you? So I'm at Philomena Jack Studio, and that's Philomena with an F like flower. Uh, I'm all over the internet. Uh, I have a YouTube channel that I would love to get more people subscribed to. That's Philomena Jack Studio on YouTube. And uh just be good to yourself. Like, put down the stinking thinking. Know that people need your beautiful, bright thing that you're doing. Envision your name on a post-it note on somebody's desk. You're like, oh, I'm just about to call Joe Smith. <laughs> um, and, and share what you've got. You know, literally, if each one teach one scenario. Yes, yes. The world will be better. You know, if you want the world to be better, make it better. That's a great place for us to wrap up. I love that. Well, thanks so much, Philomena, and let's talk again soon. All right. All right. Bye, everybody.